Hey guys, welcome back. This is Chris Bircher, and this is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This is episode 143, The Thing Capitalism Got Wrong. Now, I talk a lot about economics and finance like I know anything about any of that stuff. Uh, I don't profess to, to really know these things, but I do have opinions about them. And this one's been working around in my head, and I've released several episodes about this issue that I'll get to in a minute. Uh, and it keeps it keeps like reorganizing itself. And I think I have a new uh, a sort of epiphany about what is sort of wrong with capitalism and why it won't work and why we need to figure out another way. And this is all a part of my mission to, you know, if you feel like there's something wrong with the way America is working or the world is going or whatever. This is just one of those things. Our finance system, our economy is, is one of them. And part of that problem is the dual, seemingly dual nature, the haves and the have nots. It seems to be as old as dirt, right? From the early days, there were, there were serfs and there was royalty and there were slaves. And there was sort of this, like, you either had money, you had the resources, you owned the slaves, or you were the slave. And that seems to be, you know, inherent to all the great empires, uh, the Roman Empire, the Egyptians, um, America, right? It's all been built on the backs of labor that was essentially free, uh, serving uh, a ruler, a dictator, a family, a nobility, whatever, some group that had all the stuff. And... You know, if you think about the systems that were in place, it was all about trying to make this okay. You know, not not all of it was as blatant as sort of like, you're my property, you do the work, crack the whip. You know, some of it was a little more subtle. I remember being in Egypt and having the, the Egyptians tell the story of, oh, the people who built the pyramids, they were doing it for God. Because they knew if they did a good job building the pyramids, then they would have a good life after their, this one on earth or whatever. So there's always some sort of trickery. And I think government, politics, religion, stories, fables, society, civilizations, you know, they all have some element of making this work starting 5, 10, 15, 20,000 years ago. Prior to that, before we owned land, uh, you know, uh, before there were, were these classes you are a good person, I am a bad person, or whatever, you serve me and I serve you, whatever, that sort of dichotomy. We didn't have that. This stuff didn't exist. And so I, I keep looking for sort of the story about how we got here. I keep asking the question, you know, what happened? What happened to get us off of this? You know, it's not for me. People say it's a shift from hunter-gatherers to agriculture. It can't be that simple, right? But I think... We used to live a way that was more in, 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 in tune with nature. It was less competitive, less aggressive, less violent. We'll talk about that word competitive in a minute. And then in the history that we know and preceding that up to some point back in time, everything sort of changed. And this whole valuing land, being able to own things, you're better than me, the caste system, the hierarchical nature of human societies, that all became a thing. And it could be as simple as there were just too many people and we had to come up with something. But I'm convinced that there's this, there's a history to how we got here. And along those pathways, we made some decisions that I argue are not very good for the health of our species or our planet, based on what you see around today. And if you see the preceding 142 episodes, if you need more info on that. And, 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 and this is one of them. 
right? And I, and, I, and, I, and I had an epiphany, and please bear with me while I try to get this out. So the biggest part is when I learned in ecology, my master's research was about how species can go, coexist when their niches are so similar. So, I mean, spe- you know, species theory uh, and evolution sort of is, is, is contingent upon um, the idea that change is good, uh, change, uh, 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 creates diversity. Diversity is good. It's like redundancy in the system. And if you believe the fact, the idea that organisms inherently want to be immortal, uh, and they do this through DNA because their biological individual bodies die like cells die, but DNA can live forever. This perpetuates life. And this is one of the goals of life itself is to perpetuate itself. And so one of the strategies that works with perpetuating life is not to make exact copies of ourselves through time, but to create variation and change with each successive generation, which is why sexual reproduction evolved and uh, is considered to be a more fit in general, a more derived condition is sexual reproduction. I have an episode all about that. Uh, And that's why you don't see clonal cell division, asexual reproduction as being sort of the dominant way anymore. Uh, Now, organisms that reproduce sexually dominate. And what I learned was driving that speciation and considered, again, to be sort of an environmental condition that would drive evolution or change is competition. When organisms, again, going back to my master's research, of very similar niches can coexist, what that suggests immediately is that, well, resources aren't limiting. They're not competing. They can peacefully coexist and, and because they are somehow avoiding competition. And generally, my argument is biological organisms will avoid competition if possible. Now, today, especially in the context of capitalism or sports or, you know, cutthroat, um, you know, uh, workers on Wall Street or whatever, competition is considered to be a good thing that benefits companies. Like, what do people always say? If we didn't have competition, we'd have monopolies, right? There'd only be McDonald's because Burger King comes along and says, I can also offer a uh, an unhealthy cheeseburger for 99 cents or whatever. And so there's competition and that's supposed to be a good thing. Only, again, I did an episode about this. Do we really see that? You know, we don't really see that competition is this governing force leading to increased diversity in the market. And so that's why in the natural world, it works right? Competition does not exist in the natural world unless resources become limiting. And generally speaking, resources become limiting a lot more frequently due to human activity than they do in the natural world. And when two species, let's say, that occupy a very similar niche are faced with competition because resources are getting limited, their response, the successful and selected for fit response is to change your use of resources in a different way so that you reduce and avoid competition that way. So that's sort of the natural mode. Now what happens? Along comes capitalism. Inherent to capitalism, which is something I just realized, is that capitalism doesn't happen unless resources are limiting because capitalism is based on competition, right? Competition is, a, is an inherent element uh, of capitalism that it, and it must uh, that markets or companies or businesses or entities that are involved in capitalism must continue to grow. And in order to continue to grow, you have to sell more things. In order to sell more things, you have to remove market share. So part of the problem with capitalism is it's, it's, it's very fundamental existence 
benefits the entities involved if they can capture the greatest percentage of the market share. Right. I didn't say that very well. And inher inherent to that is that they, there would be no competition, right? The most, the, the easiest way a company is going to have in capitalism is to capture 100% of the market. By some um, <laughs> design flaw, <laughs> capitalism introduced competition as a mechanism to reduce, to prevent, to prevent that from happening. Instead, what we see is everybody trying to get rid of that uh, sort of relief valve, right? You know, just recently I saw where Microsoft, which runs, um, which owns the Xbox video game system is trying to buy Nintendo and why people would have to step in, governments would have to step in to prevent that from happening because then you have a, essentially a monopoly in the video game industry. It's always the direction it goes. It's ha it happens with like computer parts, it happens in beer, it happens in food, it happens in Walmart, it happens in Amazon. You know, that one company wants all the market share because it's never enough, right? Because you have to grow. And so in order to in order to facilitate infinite growth, all companies are going to try to steal market share from one another. So that competition doesn't work to reduce that, right? And the natural condition would be that each one of those companies was like, oh man, we don't need to compete. We don't want to do that. We're gonna we're gonna split off. And but so inherent to this capitalistic system is Competition And what does that mean? Here's the whole point. If competition exists, then that means resources must be limiting. Because if you make resources unlimited, bear with me for a minute, competition would go away. Right? If, if, and, and what is the big limiting factor? What are all the companies competing for? It's really not what I've talked about before. Just with each other, with other businesses, it's for your money. So what's the limiting resource? the consumer right there's only so many consumers and if we can't make infinite consumers then we can't have infinite demand if we can't have infinite demand then we're going to have competition for their dollars with other things even if it's not another video game company even if it's not another fast food restaurant it's something else that's going to demand their money so if we have a financial system uh, cap, uh, capital uh, whatever fiat money, whatever that's whatever that means. If that's going to be limited, if everybody's not going to have infinite dollars, which we can't, because then how we consider the value of things, competition is going to exist. If competition is going to exist, resources are going to be limited. I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, but without these two things, without this one thing, without this feature, capitalism doesn't exist. So what does that mean? Capitalism wants competition, or does it work? So all of the businesses that are going to be deemed fit in that, that unnatural selection sort of scenario uh, are going to utilize, capitalize, <laughs> for lack of a better term, um, exploit the limited resources involved. And they're going to do things like guerrilla marketing, psychological manipulation. I want your money. So then what that does is it, it we go from a once based demand economy to a needs, I mean, a needs based demand economy to a wants based demand economy. Can I convince this person they don't need healthy nutrients and a healthy diet in their life in order for them to spend more money on a car? That's what it becomes about. It becomes about competing for these alternate demands for this limited demand in all ways possible. See how this perpetuates itself? Um, 
So without competent, without limited demand or limited capacity to meet our demands, with um, out psychological manipulation to uh, 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 manipulate, un unnaturally manipulate demand, like increase your demand for things, even though you may not want them, then it becomes like a, we transition from a needs-based demand economy to a wants-based demand economy. That's one of the ways that businesses in capitalism can succeed and make themselves artificially more fit. So see where I'm going here? We've, we're deviating. First, we're starting from an unnatural position where, um, Competition is not does not only not exist; it is a fundamental tenet of what you're doing in order to manipulate demand and make it okay, you know, to to reduce um, <clears throat> monopolies. Right? So competition has to exist in capitalism, or there would only be one healthcare system. Wait a minute, around here there is. There only be one cable network. Ooh, there already is. Right? But anyway, you get my point. Competition has to exist, or there would be sort of a monopolistic dictator type fascist financial system. So we have to have it. But if it's going to exist, then the resources have to be limiting. Okay, so you're not going to get that much money. But if you don't have that much money, you're probably going to spend all your money on needs and not wants and, the, you know, and, and indiscriminately just sort of be like, I need a place to sleep. I need gas in my car and I need food in my belly and that's it. And so that fuels the system further by saying, no, 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 we have to sort of, again, unnaturally manipulate things uh, in order to, to, to put more money in our pockets because it becomes all about growth and taking that next nickel. So that's the other big thing that I've talked about in all my other competition episodes, that infinite growth is assumed to be a part of it. And so all of these entities within the capitalist system are trying to get more from limited demand through mechanism of competition or manipulation, which I call non-natural selection. Okay. So that's a lot. So all that to say, how how can you think of money? Well, that's, this is aside another aside. How can you think of money as being abundant when it's necessarily limited? Because if it was abundant, there would be no competition, right? There would be a whole different way of spending money. The market itself will create competition if there isn't any, and that's what what's happened as we transition from a needs based demand economy to a wants based demand economy. We now have enough luxury income to spend on a few fun things. Well, I want you to spend those fun things on me. Now I want you to spend those fun things on me. And it's all this push pull. And that's what drives, that's what people say drive innovation. And without that opportunity and that incentive to make money, nobody's going to do anything and technology would never happen. And we wouldn't, we'd still die in childbirth and all those things, but I don't believe any of that, but it's all related haphazardly as it were. But what that makes me think is if you, could magically convert all of our demand globally tomorrow to be majority need-based where people made decisions about spending their limited dollars on things that they needed and that we could accurately sort of assess and know the difference between a need and a want and remove decades, centuries of psychological manipulation telling us we need certain things and certain numbers of things and 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 sort of release concern for the health of the the, the biz, capitalist businesses themselves from this equation and just sort of think about what everybody needs figure out what that dollar amount is spread it equivalently among all people would businesses ultimately be as profitable how, how would that change things and that would actually 
you know, could actually potentially meet all of the need-based demand. People would have enough food. People would have enough shelter. People would have enough health care. Is that possible? Is this is the competition for those limited resources, which I argue is psychologically manipulated, changing us to the point where it's like that 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 euphemism that I can never get right. It's like the the capitalist tail wagging the dog of the human species condition, <laughs> right? Are we feeding? capitalism more than we're feeding our own human demands in order to make it continue to work in the broken way that it has to work by design. So I think the fantasy that drives this is, is, is what would the market look like if it was, you know, majority need based and we sort of remove this requirement of competition uh, from the equation? Is that even possible? Uh, and, and, and could we flip that coin and sort of say an a business entity will also sell you know up, up to the need-based demand and no further and if it couldn't persist at that level then what you know then you know maybe um we have to have more another business would have to step in and do its own thing or maybe if it wasn't profitable enough you know, these are all very interesting questions but just as an example let's say something like this is a terrible example but bear with me um budweiser sells half a million beers uh, in their national, in their international market. And that's what everybody needs. And when they don't try to do much advertising, they don't, they don't spend any money on an advertising budget and see that episode or uh, that article, at least that I wrote about what if advertising was illegal, that would be cool, right? So if advertising was illegal as a part of the system, Budweiser made beer to the demand. They tried all this different amounts of beer, but 500,000, half a million bottles of beer is what they sold. That's the need. We can say we've, we've figured out what the need-based demand is for our beer. Now, let's say in today's traditional capitalist market, what Budweiser does is then go, yeah, but we want to sell another million bottles of beer. So what are we going to have to do to get people to triple the demand, to, to add another million bottles of want-based demand. Well, we'll make all these commercials with talking frogs and chicks in bikinis, and we'll show Caribbean islands, and we can put these ads up in the grocery store and put beer on sale, uh, and we'll just we'll sell a million more uh, bottles of beer. And that'll produce a certain amount of profit. But the problem is, and these are basic capitalist principles, for each, each additional bottle of beer over 500000 costs more to make right? Because of the advertising costs. It's harder to sell each incremental beer. All those million beers increase in the difficulty of sell selling them, which means it increases the cost of selling them. So say they make, again, round numbers, say they make a million dollars on that half a million bottles of beer, and they're only going to make you know, $100,000 on that other million bottles of beer. And then if you put, couch that in the great scheme of things, and you remove the blindness of all the real costs of that advertising, the psychological manipulation, the way the consumers had to adjust their limited budget, right, to dig into their want demand and maybe trade off on this need demand over here, like maybe they stopped eating healthy food and they started eating McDonald's or whatever it is. All that stuff is figured into it. If we could figure out, if we could do this, you know, this exercise, this thought experiment, we could figure out what those costs are. And then we could sort of go, okay. After all is said and done, Budweiser, you made $100,000 more 
than you would have made if you only sold 500,000 bottles of beer. Can we somehow account for and or correct that in some way versus a subsidy or whatever it is we do now, right? Can we somehow reward that company for limiting their production and limiting their shareholder payoffs or whatever it is? Because that hundred grand, let's admit it, went to CEO salary and shareholder dividends, and that's it. It didn't benefit anybody else in that business at all. Uh, And so maybe we could do that a different way. Maybe we could convince them that, look, you don't have to buy and maintain triple the capacity of your production facility. Like that's got to save you some money, you know? Or, or whatever it is. Or you can be reducing the number of employees that you have, uh, but you're paying them. Or you're increasing the number of employees you have with that demand, but you're paying them less and everybody's miserable. Like, how does that work out? Now, can we do that sort of example model across the board, right? And sort of re-examine what a new economy would look like if we were able to meet the needs of the consumers without the wants. That's our baseline. Right? What does it look like? How does it work? What businesses go uh, bankrupt? What can't exist? What new things may need to come on the market? How much is unemployment? What does that all do? How much money do people have left over at the end of the day? And can we redistribute how that happens? And then remember, (laughs) the benefit of all that is everybody has their needs met. Right? That's the best part of this whole thing. And maybe if you're homeless, Maybe somehow money is, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's just an idea. But the idea that the, the thing that capitalism got wrong, to sort of go back to the title and, and close this up, because uh, this is admittedly a lot of speculation, a lot of rambling, but it's an introduction for future um, ideas that will come out of this. And as this is sort of becomes more cohesive and is integrated in some of my other thoughts, and when I read about what other people have written about this, because there's lots of non-capitalism economy writing and uh, work going on right now. What does, how does that benefit people? You know, capitalism and competition. How does that? How does the removal of that, or the redirection of that, or 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 sort of producing to a consumer based need instead of all this fluff of consumer based want? How does that change the the global economy? I can only imagine that it's better. I think it creates more egalitarianism. You know, again, it points us back toward a time before these things. And if we can reduce the differentiation in sort of the uh, serf-like caste hierarchy of the haves and the have-nots, if that's one thing that we fix, then what are the cascading effects of that? You know, why are we not doing this type of thought experiment? And granted, this is haphazard, it's speculative, it's out there, but following it through to the end, especially involving really smart people uh, in a really complete analysis or, you know, a more thorough analysis, I think might be, might reveal um, some real positive benefits and how we handle the future. So yeah, the thing that capitalism got wrong is that resources are, are limited. You know, resources shouldn't be limited. The resources that are limited are our consumer dollars. And if that's how your system is designed, this goes back to the, the, the last thing I'll talk about. And the one thing I keep mentioning that will be part of my more cohesive emerging theory here is that the natural law 
should be considered the primary resource for information. If we're trying to figure out if we're doing something right, I don't think we should rely on our minds to create things that don't agree with natural law. Natural law says competition doesn't exist unless resources are limited. Why would we design a system that doesn't follow that? That's my argument. I'm Chris Bircher. This is knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. I look forward to talking with you later. If you've made it this far, you know, if you want to do me a favor, you like what you're hearing, give me a review on one of the podcast servers. Nobody's ever done that. That'd be great. Uh, This has been episode 143, The Thing Capitalism Got Wrong. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Take it easy.